Welcome back to our reading of Takeout. We last left our narrator seconds from a performance of a lifetime. Life being the performance, it seems, as death itself was on the line. Chapter 5. Dinner and a Hammer Charlie pushed open the big wooden doors as a spoiled piney odor rushed over me. It stung my eyes with a foul heat and nipped at my throat with a hefty gag. It was nothing I knew a smell could be. Holding my guts in, I saw a king's feast in a king-sized dining room. Hanging from the high ceiling were hundreds of air fresheners, green and blue, peppermint and pine, mostly shaped like trees, some like cars, and none of them were really helping the odor. The main course was a horse, its severed head sat in the center of the table with a large pineapple sticking out of its mouth. Around it were wrinkling grapes, soft crackers, assorted molding cheeses, a variety of wilting vegetable dishes, and several whole chickens glazed and stuffed with fuzzy mashed potatoes. All of it carefully placed along a long table with seating for ten. Only four of the chairs were occupied. My pretend sister was present, there was an old skeleton of a man with an eye patch and a bushy mustache, wearing what looked like white plastic overalls. There was a short, obese woman with a big powdered wig and a blue and white dress, mostly white. Her makeup made her look like a toy, and her cheeks were so plump one might think she was hiding things in them. At the far end of the table was a naked man with a dark tan, long black hair, and several facial piercings. My pretend sister jumped up as I entered, shouting at me in excitement. Brother, come, come, darling, let me get your chair. She ran around the table and pulled the chair out at the opposite end from her. The chair had an upsetting bloodstain that further supported the unsettling nature of the unsettling letter. I sat down and started counting the seconds of what I knew could be my final moments of life. The first twenty minutes of sitting were spent in the most uncomfortable silence of my life. I knew it was twenty minutes because I literally counted each second in my head. Looking around the table, fighting the dying scent of the room stained my nose, I gave each member an equal four minutes of awkward gazing. The obese woman's smile seemed stuck in a way, like bolts held her muscles in the upright. Her eyes were glazed and beady. It was obvious she was well beyond drunk. Sitting right next to me, she smelled like a rotting vineyard. Her teeth were almost entirely purple. In front of her were six empty bottles of wine. I was surprised she could manage to aim her view in my direction, let alone still possess a pulse. The old man was sitting two seats to the left of my pretend sister, who just sat and smiled at me, occasionally tilting her head to crack her neck. At one point, the old man lifted his eye patch, removed his glass eye, popped it into his mouth, washed it around a bit, spit it out, popped it back into his head, and gave me a big, gummy smile. The naked man sat without expression. Looking straight ahead, he seemed to be distant in his own thoughts. Charles had a special seat at the opposite end that lifted him up to everyone's level. He was smiling at me as well. Everyone but the naked man had their eyes on me. Twenty painful minutes of uncomfortable smiles soaking into my memory for future nightmare material. No one touched any of the food. 
and it looked as though it had been sitting out for days. It was the cause of the awful smell. It was impossible to adapt to. My stomach wanted to turn inside out and decorate the table with my own flavor. I managed, but barely. There were dozens of flies buzzing around it all with no bother to anyone at the table but me, as I was the only one who would swat them away when they found rest on my face. There were ants as well. I could go on, but I'd rather forget it than drag your imagination any further into the grotesque nature of that table. Thankfully, it was a relatively cool room. Heat would have done us in. It was on the twentieth minute of silence. Everything changed. Just before I could count to twelve hundred and one, in walked a woman with blood-red skin, solid black eyes, a brown leather top, pinstripe business slacks, no shoes, thick, greasy black hair done up in a bun, and two ram-like horns growing out of her temples and curling down around her ears. Smiling just slightly, she pulled the chair for herself and had a seat in between the old man and my pretend sister. No one seemed to notice her but me. It was strange. I figured it was best to play along and pretend she wasn't there as well. It was all very unsettling. I started to think the takeout wasn't worth it, but I quickly dismissed the thought as lunacy. I reminded myself to stay strong. I was close, and getting closer every second to my takeout victory. I just needed to stay in character. A quick flash of everything that led me to the silent dinner table brought me back around to the role I was to perform. I pulled out the broken watch, gave it a shake and a tap, and from my instructions, whispered cautiously, damn thing. With my words came a welcome sound of relief from everyone at the table. Everyone except the naked man and the red woman. Glasses were lifted along with some of the tension I was harboring. My pretend sister turned to Charlie. Charlie, are the Murdochs joining us this evening, or are they still worn from the hunt? Charlie sort of slobbered his response. I don't believe they will be, madam, but we best wait a bit, eh? Rude to start without them. The obese woman started lifting bottles, checking for one with some weight. Finding success, she filled her glass to the top and spoke. Most unkind, starting without them indeed. It, it was their horse. She turned her cross-eyed talk towards me, licking her lips as she said, Reuben, love, you'd been gone for too long. You know it. Let us have a drink. She pointed at the glass in front of me and made a drinking gesture. So I picked it up, ignoring the ants as they made their way down my arm. Charlie lifted a glass of what looked like iced tea. This was when I noticed that most of the free space on the table was occupied with alcoholic bottles, most of which were empty. Gin, vodka, scotch, wine, champagne, and around the old man were a handful of beer cans. This was also when I noticed everyone had a peculiar sway about them. Nothing too obvious, but after some focused observation, it became quite clear that everyone was incredibly intoxicated. They must have been waiting for someone to show up for a while. I wish I would have checked the date on the job slip. They might have been in the middle of a week-long bender, impatiently drinking away any form of rational thinking, just waiting for a helpless soul to assume the role of their long-lost Rupert. 
there was no telling just how worn their minds were from the booze. It was then I had begun to perspire irregularly. Strange thing, the nervous sweat. What function does it serve under the given circumstance? Seems like the nervous sweat is more of a malfunction than a function function. Someone, I don't remember who, cheered my fake name. Then we all shared a drink. I faked mine. My pretend sister set her glass down and asked a question with a bit of a blurred tongue. Well, Rupert, let us hear some of your adventures. Her question certainly excited everyone. The group all perked a bit my way. The naked man even turned a cheek to hear my response. My sweating increased its unnecessary presence. Fighting through the scent of spoiling food, I found my voice. Remembering the job slip, I said, Sorry, choked a bit, and added, The fungus. The group shared a sigh as they lifted their glasses and then drank to the fungus. To the fungus! It felt like a cult chant. My glass was mostly vodka with a little bit of lemon. I wanted nothing to do with it. The big girl finished her entire drink in one gulp, let out a belch, and sung out with a bit of her own personal fungus experience. I had a fungus on my left foot for three years when I was a little girl. Not that I was ever very little, but when the fungus went away, it took with it the feelings in my toes. Still to this day, not a damn thing. She filled her glass once more and continued on, her eyes not quite lining up. Gloria, my dear, I'm starting to think the Murdochs have not heard of our dining this evening. She then hiccuped and excused herself from the bodily function, not before aiming her mouth my way to apologize her stench into my already dying nostrils. My pretend sister, Gloria, as I had just learned, responded to her with, Well, I'm not going to remind them. Charlie? Charlie was smiling at me in the most absurd fashion. I don't think he was aware of how deranged he appeared as he responded. Or say we giving him five more minutes, eh? Five minutes, say a prayer, wish him the best, and then start a beat. The food was in no way edible, and I was hoping that no one was seriously thinking about eating any of it. Then again, if they were to die, I wouldn't. Picking up a fork, I poked at a casserole that sat before me. It collapsed in, making a bubbly, gassy sound and gave off a horrid scent. I gagged something strenuous, fighting my stomach to keep from exposing itself to the group. Gloria addressed my struggle with a frightening concern. You all right, Rupert? She was ready to jump over the table for my rescue. There were no longer any smiling faces. Everyone was looking to me with a sort of troubled glint in their eyes that tightened the pressure on the importance of my role in the group. This brought about more useless perspiration. I assured the group promptly I was quite all right. This settled them back to smiles and drinking and more awkward stares. My nerves were starting then to get the better of my hope, mostly due to the red woman who hadn't moved since she sat down. Her gaze was stuck to me, sucking my eyes to her with every pass I took of the room like a nick in a smooth surface. I was sure Gloria had noticed my attention shifting to her whenever it did, and I assumed everyone saw only a blank seat, at least that was how they treated her presence. It was unsettling. How could it not be? How could I not look? 
a demon half-breed woman was sitting across from me, staring into my soul with a most intrigued gleam. Like she had known my entire life, she surely knew Rupert, or he knew her, maybe. Suddenly, Charlie barked without warning, and my heart nearly knocked out my front teeth as it tried to leap out of my mouth. Well, let's not just sit here and watch the flies enjoy our meal. I'm starting me mower. He grabbed at a chicken from the middle of the table, and several plump cockroaches scurried from under it. The ladies flew back from the table, screeching in horror as the old man spit up a foamy panic of beer. Charlie leapt onto the table and stomped around after the little hungry critters. He was screaming at them while he smashed around with his feet, unknowingly squeezing the stuffing out of the chicken he had picked up, thundering past my seat, smashing my plate into pieces and kicking bottles over left and right. Charlie was a furious maniac, bulldozing everything in his path. No one seemed to notice the maggots falling from the chicken as he squeezed it in his fists, mashed potatoes and little white worms plopping around his path of madness. My stomach again started to turn the wrong direction and I fought the urge to vomit. The red woman kept her sights on me through Charlie's marching legs. The group was cheering Charlie on, terrified cries for help. The table was a mess. Not that it was anything pleasant before. The smell was becoming a great deal worse, however, as he splattered it all around. The degree of the food's rot had become more visible. Everything was full of maggots. As Charlie chased on after the roaches, more revealed themselves. The naked man lifted his fork quick and stabbed it into the table, sticking one of the bugs to the surface. The group screamed in joy and applauded. Charlie calmed down and gave the tan man a look. Nicely done there. Hopping down from the table, he walked back to his seat, apologizing to me. Sorry about your plate, Rupert. You feel free to eat off mine if you like. The excitement of it all settled as everyone caught their breath. When Charlie sat back down, he started to play with his chicken, picking out the maggots and tossing them over his shoulder. Quickly, everyone returned their attention to me. The other bugs were just forgotten, and the mess he had left behind was no bother to anyone. I could feel my heartbeat pulsing in my neck. It was unsettling. Gloria refilled her drink from a bottle of foggy gin while she asked me a loaded question. So, Rupert, while you were away, did you happen to meet any special ladies? Looking away from me while she swirled her drink around, she added, I'm sure you did. You're a handsome man, and you were gone for so long. What could I say? I wished I had been given more lines. I just said, sort of hopelessly, the fungus. This was met with the same surrounding sigh, and another cultish raising of drinks in the name of the fungus. The fungus! Charlie belched and probed for me to elaborate. There must be something you remember from your years of pilgrimage. He wrapped his greasy fingers around his glass and drowned his throat in what looked like motor oil. Before I could speak, the old man interrupted with the drunkest slur I have ever heard. Memories are a baggy speck. No one ever now remembers it the same. And no one follows the same about anything that happened anyway. He cracked open a beer while Gloria turned to face him with a bothered expression. This was when I was sure no one else could see the red woman as Gloria spoke right through her. Uncle Donstad, we're having a nice meal. She turned back to me and smiled. 
her eyes not quite sitting right in the sea of gin that filled them. She reiterated her question with a peculiar curl in her brow. Sorry, Rupert. Please carry on with your tale. I believe you were going to tell us of the company you kept. Surely you found someone to snuggle up to and relieve you of your heavenly urges. It's only natural. She leaned in with a grin, and I just said, Sorry, the fungus. A sigh and a drink was had once more. To the fungus! Only Gloria didn't seem too convinced with my words, and her eyes changed. No longer the warming gaze she had been giving me. Now her forehead pinched, squinting with a thought she wouldn't speak. And then I saw it. Remington. The hammer that was to be my undoing was laying on the table covered in Charlie's rampage. And as I noticed it, I swear the red woman's smile grew into something sadistic. She could feel my fear. The old man broke my trepidation with a loud inquiry. Tell me, Rupert, how far have you come with your father's work? The old man, Rupert's uncle, was staring me down with his eyes, something fierce. I felt if I were to say fungus again, the group would start to suspect something, which was ludicrous. They all knew damn well I wasn't Rupert. But the letter, the letter that seemed to have written itself before my very eyes by the very dead man's shoes I found myself in that moment, the letter written from the grave, it said they might at times believe me to be the real Rupert. I wanted to break character, but I didn't believe it would do any good. Rupert or not, these people were all greatly disturbed. The old man continued at me with a staggering lip. He wasn't wasting his time with all that study. Booking hooks and bookies. Life is just a bunch of garbage and shit. Gloria tried to stop the old man, but he slammed his fist on the table and my eyes shot to the red woman. She was still grinning at me. Gloria noticed my anxious look to the chair beside her. I know she did. I could see her out of the corner of my eye. I looked to her as the old man continued on, unable to be hushed by anyone at the table. He was rambling. You ain't fooling no one with your books, Rupert boy. Your father was disgusted with his own imagination. The phone numbers, stretching his veil, smoking mirrors across his perverted washing machine. He doesn't love us, Rupert. We are scapegoats smashed out across some mysterious madness. All losses and trying to figure out why it, you know? And your father is big brain and all his studying toys for what? Science is for sad boys running away from Poontang. Gloria barked. Enough, uncle. Father's work was brilliant, and Rupert is doing wonders with it. The old man laughed, popping out his false eye and rolling it in his hand. Don't be a fool, boy. We already found words, but our ears are too spread out there. Up in the attic, I mean. Too many filly fillies eating rainbow puffs. The devil will come out of the closet and is going to kill us all and then himself once he's done. Gloria slapped the table. Enough! I think you should slow down with your drinking, uncle. 
This is no place for your senile rants. So sorry, Rupert. He's been getting worse since you've been gone. No one to talk to, I'm afraid. The old man crushed his beer can, dropped it in his lap before cracking open another. I was stuck staring at the red woman. I couldn't look away. How was I seeing her? How was no one else? Was no one else? Why was I still there? I prayed to the gods of takeout to guide me home as a hot bead of sweat trailed down my face. Gloria expressed a concern for me. Rupert, are you all right? Uncle's words haven't upset you, have they? I looked to her, hiding my fear as best I could, saying, of course not. A sigh of relief blew past her lips as her drink returned to them. And then the clock rang. While everyone looked at the dinging of the eleventh hour, I moved without hesitation, without thinking, tossing a salt shaker at the red woman. Not violently, mind you, more of a friendly lob. She extended her hand and caught it, her eyes never leaving mine. I swallowed more fear in a loud, sweaty gulp as the group turned back to me. What was the meaning of that, Rupert? Gloria asked as she reached into the red woman's seat, pushing through her as if she wasn't there, even though she clearly was. I saw her. I threw a salt shaker at her. She was holding the salt shaker out in front of her clearly existing self. The obese woman turned to me then, expressing her concern as well. This was when Gloria lifted her arm with the salt shaker in hand. The red woman still holding hers. I was sitting in a puddle of my unneeded sweat, silently hoping I'd drown in it. Gloria was holding out the salt shaker right next to the one apparently only I could see. My mind burned past fear into something altogether more frightening. Gloria pouted. Why did you throw this salt shaker? You weren't intending to hit me, were you? Gloria looked worried, waiting for me to answer. Too frightened for words, I shook my head. Charlie chimed in with a long and curious, Rover. He leaned in, his brow worming about presumptuously, adding, You're not seeing that red woman again? My neck snapped his way, my eyes wide in a panic as my mouth hung open. Still, too frightened to speak, my head shaking about a desperate no. It was obvious I was lying, at least to me. It was hard to tell how the intoxicated horde around me was perceiving my behavior. I tried my best to act as though I had no idea what he was talking about. He interrogated further. That red demon, Rupert, are you seeing her again? There were no smiles on any faces. Everyone seemed greatly concerned, all of them sitting back, distancing from me as if they had just discovered I was infected with a deadly virus. Gloria stood up worried, dramatically singing out. I'll wake the doctor. Charlie hopped onto his feet, his finger stiff into the air. Best if I do, madam. You stay with Rupert. Maybe bring him to the fireplace in the smoking room. It'll be more comfortable. The little guy hurried off as Gloria walked around to me. More than apprehensive for meeting the doctor, I spoke up. Nothing good came out of my mouth. I just said, I should probably think about going soon. 
The obese woman rose, kicking several bottles of wine at her feet. She spit purple slime my way as she said, I think it's best that you see the doctor. He'll make sure you're all right. I pushed away from the table with my sights on the door and my thoughts on running. I tried to calm the room, saying, I assure you there is no demon woman. The clock startled me and my reaction was tossing the salt shaker. Nothing more. The women were on either side of me then as the old man stood up. His overalls were stuffed with crushed beer cans, each leg tied off at the bottom so no cans could escape. He cracked open a beer and walked to the door. The ladies each grabbed one of my arms and walked me out against my will. The naked man and the red woman stayed in their seats and watched. As I was dragged from the room, her red hand lifted slowly to wave me goodbye. Things are not looking good for our narrator, are they? What madness will the doctor bring? What more could one bring to such an evening? Until the next chapter, I suppose. Farewell, once more. <laughs>